You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. So one of the things that you may or may not know about me is that I did not grow up in a Christian home. In fact, how I got saved, I literally got the hell scared out of me. And what do I mean by that is I was in a, a hospital room about 21 years ago with my life literally on the line. And I was 20 years old thinking that I had my entire life to live for me and to do whatever I wanted to do. And I had enough sense that I did not want to go to hell. So I thought in my foolishness of a, being a young adult that I can grab Jesus before I die and everything would be just fine. The problem was I was 20 years old in the emergency room and my life was was literally being demanded of me of that moment. I was literally dying. And in that moment, even I overheard the nurse and I knew that's when it was serious. I was already feeling it. And I heard the nurse say, what are we going to do? And and then they walked out. When they walked out, I knew that I knew, man, if I die right now, I'm going to go to hell. And I just, the the thought of that, I, I didn't know what else to do. So I turned to the Lord and I said, Lord, if you let me live, I swear I will live for you all the days of my life. Not halfway, but all the way I am completely yours. And can I tell you that in that very instant, everything turned around. The doctors and the nurses were absolutely astonished. They had no clue as to what had happened. I could not say, oh, well, I cried out to God and he actually heard me and moved on my behalf. A few hours later, I was released home and that really began the journey of what I wanna talk to you tonight. The title of my message tonight is called Hold Fast. So you know that in this hour, in the last 20 months, it's been 20 months of chaos, it's been 20 months of crisis, and it's been 20 months of our, uh, our faith and our endurance really being tested to the max. Would you agree? Would you put your hand up and you say, your faith, your endurance, and there's been challenges that you've faced in life like you've never faced before. Many of us are getting mandates that are, that we're is trying to impose upon us, but I'm here to tell you tonight that God has a greater mandate that he is speaking and decreeing over our lives. Amen? That, and I believe that that mandate is to hold fast, or maybe another way of saying it is to have resolve. And this was something that God uh, spoke to me very early on when I first got saved. But not only that, fast forward, I'm in Bible school. Now, Bible school, it's an amazing time. You're getting infused with uh, you know, the word of God, and you're getting infused with faith, and you're getting infused with zeal, all the things. So most people would say, like, Bible Bible school is the greatest time uh, of, of a person's life. You know, there's, there's uh, also a saying, ring by spring or your money back. I got my money back. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but within, within Samuel, Samuel got it. Uh, still, still in the waiting. But anyways, uh, just got to throw myself under the bus once in a while. It helps you all connect with me. Uh, so so, so here's, here's what happened, though. There was a, a, a moral failure amongst the, the leader of our ministry. And it was one of the hardest things that I ever faced in my life and Christian experience. And I was just a kid. I was 21 years old, 22 years old. And getting the announcement that tore and ripped one of the fastest growing ministries in the United States to shreds, literally. And we would 
see droves of Bible school students and droves of leaders that couldn't stand because of the failure and everything that had taken place and they would just leave. And I remember every wave of people who left and me asking myself, would this be the time that I would leave with them? And every time I felt that it was not time to leave and I stayed. And can I tell you how difficult it was to stand in those days when there were people that were my friends, there were pastors that were mothers and fathers to me that were, that were helping me and encouraging me in the way and they couldn't stand anymore, but they left. And what, what do I do? Do I stand? Do I follow them? God, what is it that you would have me to do? And I felt like God said, no, I want you to stay. And so the ministry went from thousands, literally down to hundreds. We had hundreds of people throughout the nations, 12 different nations in the world. We were a missions-minded ministry. So it literally dwindled down to a very small remnant. But how many know that God works within a remnant? Amen. And I believe that Awakened Church and you who are sitting in these chairs, that you are a remnant, that you are going to stand when no one else would stand, that you are going to fight when no one else is going to fight. There is a time to stand and there's a time to fight. And it doesn't matter what is going on around us. And, and there's got to be something on the inside of us says, you know what? There's a resolve that I'm not going to move. I love there's a passage in the in scripture that says, holding fast to the word of life. The Bible says, hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Friends, when I was in that context of wave after wave of people that were mentors, people that I was looking up to, I had to make a decision, will I hold fast? And that is truthfully, no matter the storms of the crisis, mandates, and some of us have jobs on the line, what will we do? Will we stand and be unwavering in the things in which God has placed in our hearts to do? What I love is Hebrews also speaks of, we have this hope as an anchor to the soul. Thank God for Jesus Christ. Thank God that we have Jesus who really is the anchor of our soul. A few months ago, I was on my way to uh, Miami and it was an overnight flight. It's my favorite way to fly because you get the sleep and uh, the plane's generally quieter and uh, just a little bit more peaceful and doing the long haul flight over, not really long haul, but five hours from uh, San Diego to Miami. Well, suddenly, it, and, you know, this is, you know, 10.30 at night, suddenly about an hour and a half in, there, something fell off. Something, you see the, the flight attendants, they're going back and forth, and they're trying to figure out what is that, what is, what is going on. Well, before you know it, we, we get this abrupt announcement that we need to do an emergency landing, and nobody knows why everyone on the plane is now in official freakout mode. You get people on their phone, and this lady's like, I think it's COVID. And she's texting her husband. And there's this other lady who's like, I don't know what's going on. I think it could be a bomb. Like I'm literally reading people's text messages because I'm that kind of person, right? The people who are around me. And I'm just thinking, this is freaking unbelievable. Everybody's freaking out. Do you know what the emergency was? There was a man that was in business class that decided that it was a good idea for him to rest his whole trip by taking sleeping pills and too many glasses of wine. Maybe not such a good idea, so he stopped breathing basically and they had to get oxygen to him, all the things. 
So we get kicked off the plane, which now is like, you know, nobody, it's chaos. Nobody knows what is going on, what to do and where to go, all the things, right? So, so no one's like, do we go here? Do we go there? Are we gonna get on the, uh, another plane? And then it happened to be that our pilots, you know, that they ended up getting timed out. So they could not get back on the plane. So now we are stuck in Dallas with no knowledge of what are we gonna do next? So I get on the, I didn't know what to do. I knew nothing was happening in the line Everyone was just in chaos. I get on the phone with the agent and said, we just came off a 647 flight. What is going on? Where do we go? What's the next step? So she said, Shelly, what you need to do is you need to go to, and she gave me the, 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 the next uh, gate where we need to go to. The flight was going to be delayed a few hours. So I got all of the information. So I begin as there's a line of uh, several hundred people, and I just begin to say, this is what's happening. This is what's happening. Because no one's telling him anything. This is what's happening. This is what's happening. And there's one guy who just like, raised his voice. He's like, I don't know about all of you guys, but I'm going to follow her because she knows what she's doing. <laughs> so I literally led all of these people to the next place. And so it really, it was an illustration to me about how the world is looking for leadership. And you, my friends, are the leaders in this world, in these circumstances that we're facing. The truth is, is whoever has the flashlight is the leader. And how many of you know that as you have an awesome flashlight that is in your hands and within your bellies to stand and actually lead the way? That is what we're called to do. We're called to lead the way. So we've got to be a people of resolve. We've got to be a people who's standing fast in the truth. And I'm so thankful for the house that we're a part of, that that's exactly what we, you hear every week in and every week out, standing on the word, believing the word, getting into the word, standing in faith. So I'm just going to add another layer or the, the Shelly Griever spin to it, if that's all right. So keys to holding, uh, keys to how do we stay steadfast? Number one, when everything is contrary, just believe. When everything is contrary, just believe. And sometimes we think, oh, I need to fast more, and I need to do this more, and I need to get the formula, a breakthrough, and hey, well, you know, you've been around Mike Connell, so could you pray the prayer of deliverance? No, you just need to believe. <laughs> it's as simple as that. I don't, you know, we, we tend to want to complicate things, but honestly, it comes down to this truth is just believe. See, there was a man that you would find, we can put the scripture up in uh, Mark chapter five. There was a man who was a leader in the synagogue and his little daughter was dying. And in fact, he comes and he sees Jesus. He pleads with him and he says, please come because my daughter is dying, right? Please lay your hands on her so that she will be made well. So you know that when he comes back around, right? He got interrupted by another woman who received healing from him, the woman with the issue of blood, right? Which is another incredible story that I'm gonna just leave there for another time. Uh, but when Jesus was, was finished with that miraculous healing, he was still speaking to the woman and some people came from the house of the synagogue leader and said, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, don't be afraid, just believe. I believe that's a prophetic word to us today of don't be afraid of the things in which you are hearing, but just believe in what Jesus is saying. 
So they, they move forward, right? He, he goes in, he goes in with them. And, and, and as they enter to the, they enter the home, Jesus sees a commotion. See, it was Jewish tradition to bring out the professional mourners and grievers to come and make, and that was not my family, by the way, but, uh, right, but to, 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 make, uh, to make a noise and to make, you know, all of the grief and all of the things that's going on. So it's interesting that as they were making all this commotion and people were wailing and crying loudly, that he went in and, and I love Jesus. He's like, why are you, why all of this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. Verse 40 says this, but they laughed at him. Like, uh, hello, she's dead, right? So they, they, they ridicule him, they mock him. And I love, it says that he put all of the children out. It's the same verb of Jesus casting out a demon, or in other words, kicking out a demon the same way that he treated a demon. It's the same way that he treated those mockers who laughed at him and he threw them out of the room. And what did he do? He, he, he performed a miracle. And you read the rest of the story, you find what that the girl got completely healed. So here's the truth, is there are external pressures that are actually distractions to our lives to attempt us or to, to compel us to come into a place of reasoning, which then zaps our believing. Let me say that again. External pressures are distractions that attempt to compel us into reasoning. Is that not true? When there's some crisis that comes up and there's it's an external pressures, it's voices of people, it's people saying, oh my gosh, can you believe this just happened? And then what do we want to do? We want to default to reasoning, getting into a place of reasoning. And that's the point of those things. Instead of just believing. What if we silence the voices that were around us and not allow the circumstances of life to choke out the life of God? Be committed to believing God no matter what. Well, what if it doesn't work? Well, what if it does work? What do you have to lose in believing God? But what do you have to gain by believing Him in every circumstance, everything that we're facing? Right, there's, we've got to understand there's those external pressures, those whiners and those mockers, if you will, that are around and about us. And their whole point is to try to get us out of faith and get us into the place of reasoning that actually squashes faith. I don't know about you, but I want to be in a place where I can be around a people of faith that's going to believe with me all the way to the end, all the way to the breakthrough. That's how we break through. Five years ago, I get a phone call from my younger brother who had just launched into the beautiful nation of Canada. Now, they got some squirrely things happening now, but you know, that's a whole nother story, but it, you know, it, it's a beautiful place. So he calls me up and he's like, Shelly, were you praying for twins? And I'm thinking, I was never praying for twins for you guys. And it, it, it turned out that they were pregnant with twins. And it was just their, a pleasant surprise that came to them. It was their, go, they called it their, their going away present when they left California and moved to Canada. And uh, shortly after that though, they, they, they got a report from the doctor. And the doctor said, I'm sorry to tell you, but the signs are not good. These boys, both of these boys have major heart defects. In fact, they have holes in their hearts. It's not likely that they will survive if you were to carry them the full term. It is our recommendation that you abort these babies. And my sister-in-law was just dejected. She was upset. 
And she was just, and she was angry. She was angry that the doctors would, that was their default. It's just like as if human life has no value and you could just cast it away and try it again. And she's just like, no, I'm not gonna do that. And I don't care what you say. We are gonna give birth to our baby boys. Come on. And so we just rallied everyone around and said, no, let's just believe God for a miracle. Let's just believe that God is gonna bring a divine turnaround to this situation. And very early on, we got their names, uh, which is Micah, which means who is like God. That's the meaning, who is like God. It's almost like a testimony of who is like God, Micah. And then the, our other guy, Josiah, which means fire of God. So we just began praying over Micah and Josiah that God would work a miracle in their lives, that God would restore their hearts whole, and that the, that the, uh, the holes within their, the chambers would be closed, and all the things, that they would be born healthy and whole, and all the things. Well, it came up time for, for delivery day, and uh, it was by C-section early, very common, of course, with when you're having twins. Rarely does a person, a, a woman give birth right at 40 weeks, but usually it's a little bit earlier, so I think for them it was week 32. And when week 32 came around and when the boys were born, uh, unfortunately, the, the heart conditions were still there. Uh, they still had struggles and they were premature. So they were in the hospital for about eight or nine weeks or so. And uh, they were able to get released, but the doctor said in a very short period of time, we're gonna have to do surgery, otherwise they will die. And my sister-in-law was just upset, like when is this thing gonna turn around? We're believing God. When is this thing going to turn around? I said, honey, we just got to keep believing God. We need to keep trusting that God is going to bring the breakthrough. Whatever way that it, whatever way, whether it be supernatural or whether it be by assistance of a medical process, I don't care, but we're believing that God is going to bring a turnaround. Well, within, I think, now 12 weeks old from the time that they were born to, to present. So now it's Christmas time. So we did a pre-little Christmas party for them, even though, because we didn't know what was going to happen on the other side of it, but we just kept believing. So one, one of our little guys, Josiah, fire of God, he needed to have just a minor uh, heart surgery, in which when they're babies, they do the incision along their back line. And then with Micah, because his heart was, the hole was larger, they actually had this slit open and do a full open heart surgery on a 12-week preemie. So he was quite a small guy. And he ended up staying in the hospital for an additional, I believe it was like six, eight weeks of recovery. But God brought them through. God brought them through every step of the process. There was healing that came to them. When, when the doctors had said, even if they make it through the surgery, they're gonna just the rest of their lives, they're gonna need surgery. And said, nope, cancel that. That ain't gonna happen. Oh, they're gonna need medicine the rest of their life. Nope, we cancel that. That ain't gonna happen. And we just kept on canceling out the decrees of the enemy and proclaiming what we believe in the word of God. Now, here's the thing. When, when they are now five years old, they've not needed not one more surgery. They have not needed any medication for the last four years. God worked a miracle. When the situations of life seem impossible, I am telling you, if you would just believe, 
If you don't know what else to do, you just believe, just stand, refuse doubt. And you know, and there's a lot of pressures that come our way and we've got to rise up and refuse doubt. We've got to rise up in our spirit knowing that our faith overcomes the world. Number two, be joyful under fire. That's always a fun one, isn't it? Don't you love it when trouble comes and you get to be joyful in the midst of it? James chapter one, let's, this is a verse that I cannot skip over, so we're gonna read this one. It says, consider it pure, uh, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. How do you like that, that the Bible says that we are to count it all joy when troubles come? Do we find ourselves saying, woohoo, I'm so glad that I lost my job. <laughs> woohoo, I'm so glad that this pandemic happened. Right, I mean, do we find ourselves rejoicing in the trials? Oh, I'm so glad that there's mandates coming from the government. Right, we're usually angry, are we not? <laughs> right, we're usually like rising up, we wanna fight, but the Bible says to count it all joy. Another translation says, when you're under pressure, your faith life is forced out into the open. There's another translation that says it like this, when all kinds of trials and temptations crowd into your lives, my brothers. Isn't that true? Like it's felt like the last 20 months, like, man, when is this stuff gonna stop? It's like there's just a crowding in of things. I love this, it says, do not resent them as intruders but welcome them as friends. Can you imagine that we would be a people who would welcome the trials and tribulations as friends and not intruders? That we would say, man, I am so glad that this trial's going on. It's like a good friend of mine that's teaching me perseverance. Do you know that the trials that you face is actually meant to teach you how to rise up in faith, how to rise up in victory, how to not be dismayed? Can you imagine if we took that approach? I don't know about you, but if I'm really honest, I can't say that every trial and tribulation I've invited as my friend, but I've taken it actually, as this word says, as an intruder that needs to be kicked out of my life. And maybe, just maybe, it's not an intruder at all. Maybe, just maybe, God is wanting to bring victory in your life through the very obstacles that you are facing. There's a woman, and maybe many of you know, have you ever heard of, uh, this is in World War II, it's a woman by the name of Corrie Ten Boom, yeah. right? So Corrie Ten Boom, the Ten Boom family, they were a family who actually rescued a lot of Jews and they would hide them during World War II. It is estimated that they, I think they've hid roughly 800 plus people within this secret room that they built. So the first floor of their home was where the, her father was a, he was a clock, he would repair watches and clocks. And above that was their, their home, it was in, uh, in Holland. And, and above that they had another room that was a hiding place for all of these people going from one place to the next. And they had over 800 people that they were able to save during that time before they got found out. 
Of course, the Gestapo found out, found him, and you know, they went through you know, all the things that they went through. And here's where the miraculous actually takes place. So Corey and her sister, uh, you know, they, they, they were, because you know, obviously females went into one place, her dad went into another. Dad, unfortunately, he passed away because he's very old, very sick. At the, at the time, but her and her sister, they went through not just a prison, but they also went through a concentration camp. And they went into a one that was notorious for, uh, uh, for women to go to. And it was really interesting to, to like read and understand their story. This story just kind of just has been such a faith provoker for me. This is what she did. She made a resolve. We're talking about resolve tonight. Talking about being uh, holding fast tonight. She had a resolve that saying, you know what? No matter what, I need the word of God. So when the Gestapo came and picked them up, she had a Bible, obviously not as large as mine because this can probably knock someone out, but she had a much smaller one and you know what she did is she put it on a string and as she put it on a string she actually hung it around her neck and she had it where it would go along her back and it was such a, a small bible that she was able to smuggle it into the first prison and then not only that but it was she knew she knew she was risking her very life for the word of god like it makes me wonder like would i risk my life for the word of god not just standing, but physically bringing in. What if I were to bring in the word of God, which being a missionary, I have smuggled some things other than bad things. It's called the word, right? Like, would I be willing to do that? Would I be willing to put my life on the line because I have this in my hands? And that was the very thing that she did is she put that on the line. Will, would she trust God? But she just knew, you know what? If I'm going into these places, I need the word. I need the word. This is the only way that I'm going to get breakthrough. So here she goes. They're now in the concentration camp. And how it works out is they would, they would put them, if you remember, like watching all of the different movies and documentaries and all the things, they would cram them in a, in a train. They would arrive usually early in the morning or late at night. When they would arrive, they would come out of the train. They would cart them out like cattle. And they would actually bring them into kind of like a, uh, you know, it's a, an, an intro uh, f- facility. And in that facility, they would have them strip down, take a shower, and then they would get give them these lousy prison garb clothes that they had to change into. So they were in this place and she made a decision. I'm going to bring the Bible with me no matter what. She watched as the women went through the shower and they were lining up. And what the soldiers would do is as these women are dressed, they would pat them three times in the front, three times in the back, three times in the front, three times in the back. And they searched every single woman. And she's just thinking, I don't know what else to do, but I've got to have the the word of God. She brought the word of God with her. And wouldn't you know by divine providence that the first lady, she got searched. The lady behind her got searched, but she did not get searched. God supernaturally blinded her, the eyes of the soldiers that she was able to smuggle that Bible through. But then it, it gets better or worse, depending on how you look at it. They get sent to a, the, the barracks that they were assigned to, she later found out was a quarantine barracks for for, for women women that were super sick. This place was so overran where the women that was meant to be built for 250 was actually swelled to 1,500 people. Not only did it swell to 1,500 people and they're wall to wall, you know, bed, you know, on top of each other and there's some people sleeping on the floors. It was ridiculous. Not only that, but it was flea and lice infested. 
So you're thinking like, this is a pretty lousy place to be, right? Like from, 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 from Corey's perspective, it was a lousy place to be. They were cold, they were afflicted, and they were sick. And her sister reads this scripture. She says, Corey, we are to rejoice always. Here they are. Just get the picture of where they're at. They're seeing the, the, the gas chamber smoke, you know, as she's saying this. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And her sister encourages her. How many know that we're in hard times and part of having resolve is having the right people around us, having community around us that's gonna speak courage, that's gonna speak faith, that's gonna say, keep on going, don't quit. And if there's anything you don't get out of my sermon, it would be this, don't quit. That's honestly, if there's nothing else that you, that you, that you can't hear, hear this, don't quit. So she, she's like, well, I mean, Betsy, like for crying out loud, this, it's freaking ridiculous in here. What is there to be thankful of? She's like, well, you know what? We can be thankful that we're together. She's like, yeah, that's true. God, I thank you that we're together. And so they begin to thank God for that. She's like, well, that's about it. I think that's about all that I could think to be thankful of. And then her sister's like, well, um, hello, uh, what did you just sneak in that's gonna be able to provide light, which later on in the story you find out that they literally read the Bible every night to a barracks that was meant to be for 250. Instead, it was over 1,500 women that was hearing the word of God, that some of them were on their way to death literally within moments or within hours or within days, but they had the flashlight of God's word in that place to bring hope to bring life and to bring restoration. Now, it gets better than this. So then her sister says, well, you know what? We, the Bible says to be thankful in all things as fleas are jumping on them. Let's thank God for the fleas. And then and Corey says, you know what, Betsy? You are crazy. I am not thanking God for the fleas. That is ridiculous. She's like, but the Bible says. She's like, oh gosh, you gotta use the word of God, don't you? So she begins, they begin to thank God for the fleas. Here's the thing that they didn't know by thanking God for the fleas. Guess what happened to the fleas? They multiplied and they became even worse. But you know, as they got worse, it kept all of the officers away from the barracks so that they were actually able to preach the word of God every single night without hindrance because no officer wanted to go in there. I mean, you just never know what God might use. It may not be fleas, but it may be something for you that you begin to thank God for and thanking God will actually open up the door of supernatural provision in your life. But so instead of you know, cursing them, why don't we begin to thank them that God has put these things in our lives as a, a friend that is gonna help enlarge our faith. What if we actually change the way and perspective of how we see things? Joy and being joyous in it releases the supernatural. You remember Paul and Silas at midnight, the Bible says, while they're in prison, they're in chains, they're in shackles. And they just begin to shout a hallelujah and say, you're probably singing a song, look what the Lord has done. And they just begin clinking the chains together, making their own music, right? What? And in that moment, they got breakthrough. Why? Because they were willing to have joy in the midst of, the, of being under fire. What if we live that way? And I believe that that's what we're, how we're meant to live. I'm gonna end with this last point. Last point is this, stretch your face. 
stretch your faith. There was a man who had a withered hand and that man didn't know anything else but his hand being withered. And when Jesus saw him, Jesus spoke to him and he said, what? Stretch forth your hand. And the man was able to stretch out and believe for his hand to be made whole. Now, Jesus spoke the word, but the man actually had to stretch it out. So Jesus has spoken the word over your lives, friends, but it's up to you to stretch forward. It's up to you to enlarge your tent. It's up to you to step into the next place that God has for you. It reminds me of when uh, there was some years ago, I had, my, I had a bunch of interns that I was training and we went to this large Benny Hinn meeting and we get to the, the doors and they said, you know what? Sorry, we're past capacity. We're not letting anyone else in. There's no way you guys can get in here. And I knew that I knew that there was an impartation that was coming and we had drove for over two hours to get to this place. You'll all be darned that we're gonna turn around just because the, the fires department says it's closed. And I said, you know what guys? I remember the night before that there's another way in. And they're like, what are you talking about? I said, just be quiet and run. So we just went and we walked all the way to where the, the car park was at or in the parking structure. And we walked up those stairs. We got down those stairs and there came an elevator. And we get into the elevator. You know what happened? We ended up dropping down to right in the middle of the lobby. So now we're in the lobby of the facility. Now, the problem was, is that they had already locked up the auditorium doors. They had the ushers and the security that was there wasn't letting anybody in. So they're like, oh great, well now we're just stuck outside, but we're, we're, we, can't go in, we can't go outside and we can't go in the, in the auditorium. And I just said, oh, you a little faith. Come on, we got this far. So I, I had one of my homies with me. He, he came out of a long life of drugs and, and, and gangs and all the things. And so he knew some moves. I said, hey, Adrian, this is what I want you to do. I, I checked the door, there was a door that was actually unlocked. When we opened up the door, it was completely black. You can see nothing in there. I'm Adrian, will you go on the other side? He's like, heck yeah, I will. So he went into the other side. When he opened up, the, there was another door on the other side. You know what it took to? The back of the sanctuary of the building. So he comes running back. He's like, hey, we've got to weigh in. There's nobody around. What are we going to do? So I had this team of 10 people with me and they're like, wait, what, what, can we do that? I'm like, hello, we're already in the building. It's fine. Let's go. And they're like, but what are we going to do? I said, act like you own the place, like you belong there. And we, as just a team of 10 people, we just walked like we owned it. And we opened up that door. We got into the back of the sanctuary. We are now in the auditorium. So then it comes a call and, and Benny Hinn, you know, he did this call, all of you who are Bible school students, come forward. And I'm thinking, well, I'm not in Bible school, but I'm a student of the Bible. So I sneak up and I get forward. <laughs> And there, I'm in, I'm in front and I'm like, oh yeah, this is amazing. This is the moment I came for. I'm expecting impartation, all the things. And then wouldn't you know, as I'm in this place, I feel this tap on my shoulder and I'm thinking, oh shoot, I got busted. I turn around and I look and it's one of the ladies who I brought with me. And I'm thinking, what the heck? How did you get here? And she started laughing. She's like the same way you did. So there's something to be said of, will we be a people who will stretch our faith? Will we be a people who are willing to do things unconventionally? 
I mean, Jesus spit in, in dirt to make mud to heal eyes. Jesus did some very unconventional things. So if we wanna grow our faith in this season of where we need to hold fast, we've got to enlarge our faith. We've got to be willing to stretch forward our faith. If you would, would you stand to your feet? I believe that tonight that God is wanting to bring an impartation of courage, of strength, of being able to stretch, to stand, to, to all these mandates that have come around us. Don't let those things discourage you. Let those things inspire you to stand up for God, to stand up and speak another script over your life, as Pastor Jurgen would say, that God is in the business of changing scripts. There are many of you in this room that, you know, there's, there's things that are on the line, there's big decisions, there's, there's troubles that are coming your way, but I'm telling you that God is faithful to bring turnarounds. He's the God of the turnaround. He's the God of the reversal. He's the God of the breakthrough. And I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what it feels like. He is faithful to his word. He is not a respecter of persons. What he'll do for me, he will do for you. He will bring victory. I love that Isaac was a man who sowed in a time of famine. And in that time of famine, he reaped a hundredfold. And God it isn't saying, I'm only gonna do that for Isaac. I'll do that for you. So I believe that your, your first step to being steadfast is that would you make a commitment to Jesus? Don't, don't be like me where you're on in, 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 in your deathbed where your life is literally being demanded of you. And then you're like, oh shoot, I better grab Jesus. That's, I don't recommend that. It's a very scary ride. <laughs> very scary ride to be that close. But you have an opportunity now to say, Jesus, I fully commit my life to you. I ask you to come into my life. Maybe you, you, you've gone through hard times and it's caused a setback, but God has positioned you for a comeback. Would you make a comeback today? Would you come back if you have never asked Jesus to be Lord of your life? If you've never asked Jesus, if you, you're waiting for that comeback, now's your moment. Would you lift up your hand? If that's you, who, who am I praying for today? Who am I praying for you? Would, you? would you lift up your hand so that I can see it? I see that hand, thank you. Thank you, I see that hand. Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone else says, you know what? I need to make a comeback. I need to make a comeback. And it's as simple as this. We're all, gonna, we're all gonna pray this prayer. Jesus, I come to you and I ask you to be Lord of my life. I give you my life and I thank you that you are my savior. I thank you, God, that you are my father. And I thank you that heaven is my home. I thank you that you are making a comeback for me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Now I know that we have an incredible team. For those of you who lifted up your hand, or maybe you wanted to lift up your hand, there's a response lounge that is ready for you. There's a team that's ready for you. We have gifts that we want to give you. And who doesn't want gifts, especially in this time and hour? Come on. We got an incredible book called The Bible that will help you. We have the Following Jesus book that is written by our very own Pastor Samuel. Come on, you can't get better than that. That will help you. That will bless you in your journey back or your journey forward, depending on where you're at. And I believe that God also wants to release the power of his presence for you to say, you know what, Shelly? I, I don't know about you, but that does sound a little crazy to be joyful under battle. 
that God would give you the courage to be joyful in the midst of adversity. I believe that there's an impartation of courage that God wants to bring to you. So would you lift up your hands? May I pray over you, just declare over you. Father, I thank you for the power of your presence that would come upon your people, oh God. I thank you, Father, that you have sent me here by divine purpose and divine design to release the next level of courage, to release the next level of faith over your precious sons and daughters, oh God. I thank you, Father, that they will be courageous lions. They will be courageous lionesses going forth with your power and your authority. Father, I thank you that as we give you joy in the midst of the battle, that we will see breakthrough after breakthrough, liberty after liberty that will just come our way. So I thank you, Father, for an infusion of courage, an infusion of strength. And if you believe that, would you say amen? Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.